for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. to that steve bro thank you for downloading this episode i am your host christina p christina pajitsky watching my dog sniff around uh some apple i left i'm just watching him you think he's gonna go for it i think he is i don't know though he's so good he's so usually well behaved no he's walking away smart Smart boy. Okay, so business. Firstly, I am uh, touring. I will be going around getting my hour high and tight before I record it. And uh, let's see, I've got some dates, April 13th through 15th. I'll be at the Brea Improv in Brea, California. And then April 29th, sorry, 28th and 29th, Sacramento at the Punchline, May 4th through 5th. Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live, May 19th through 20th, New York City at the Gotham Comedy Club, June 1 through 3, Denver Comedy Works, the downtown location, and then June 16th and 17th, Manfred Disco at the Punchline Comedy Club. Very exciting. Very exciting. Also, there is a That's Deep Road t-shirt you can now get. Go to TomSegura.com. Click on the store page and you will see it there. Also, Amazon. Do you shop on Amazon? Please use my banner. That's deeprowpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post to your shopping as you normally would. If you're in the UK and Canada, I also have a banner for you. And uh, yeah, and that's that. Okay, let's get this party started. Mm-hmm. Meow, meow. Meow, meow. Watch out. You might get what you're after. Cool babies. Strange 
welcome to That's Deep Pro. Thank you for watching this episode on YouTube or downloading it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, wherever you're listening to it. Uh, I, was, oh, I play Talking Heads. We don't play the intro songs on YouTube because it'll get flagged, right? But hey, on the other stuff, who cares? Um, yeah, I love David Byrne. My first, one of my first crushes. Speaking of first crushes, uh, Chuck Barris uh, died Who's that? Is that the black guy that played rock music? No. I like how I don't care that the father of rock and roll died. Um, but Chuck Barris, the host of The Gong Show, one of my favorite television shows ever, died. And um, and I've loved Chuck Barris since I was very, very little. Not Not just for The Gong Show, but he truly was an innovator of television. He's the inventor of my favorite genre of television, reality shows hello he uh created the newlywed game the dating game uh is there more i'm sure there's more and at one point he was like doing all these great shows and he also wrote a song oh i forgot to play i was gonna play it uh, i played it before actually on this podcast if you've listened to every single episode you'll know that i've been a chuck barris fan forever and i he wrote the song Palisades Park, which the Ramones remade. But anyway, I mean, who the fuck does that? Who writes like a number one song? Cause it was a, a smash hit in the, I guess, sixties. And then goes on to create an entirely new genre of reality show. And what was brilliant about the gong show, I think he really tapped into the human desire to see other people suck at something. And I think now, um, I mean, and we have it. We still do it. What do you think, you know, American Idol is? It's the freaking gong show. The voice, the gong show. It's, it's just variants of this. Um, but his whole aim was to have crummy acts. That's why it was so fantastic, because it was just like ridiculous, ridiculously horrible shit. And I think what happened with the downfall of the gong show was that he had um, two like 15-year-old girls on roller skates, like licking um, popsicles. <laughs> and then they were like, you can't do that on TV, Chuck. That's not a show. Um, and then that was kind of the, the, the lack of taste was getting him in trouble. But God damn it, I don't have good taste in television. I love reality shows. I've been on a few myself. So, hey, rest in peace, Chuck Barris. Uh, God got the last gong. Uh, so there you go. Also, I had a really great thing happen to me at a taco stand I usually go to near my shrink's office, I go there every week and this week their credit card machine was broken. I mean, who the heck carries cash anymore, right? So I was like completely beside myself that my I wouldn't be able to get my beloved tacos. And I asked the guy, hey, can I, it was this nice guy behind, it's a stand, it's a truck or whatever. And I don't, you know, I actually go, I go, look, I don't have any cash but I have personal checks. Will you take my personal checks? And he's like, no, I can't. I can't do it. And I was like, come on, man. Look at me. Like, I'm a fucking, I'm a nice white lady. Like, come on, I'm driving a decent car. Like, I'm here every week. Just come on, please. Just give me the damn talks. And through the grace of God, this sweet taco, taco purveyor, that's <laughs> not what they are. This sweet taco man, he goes, no problem. You can have the taco. You give me the money next week. And I was so touched by this guy's benevolence. 
I was really like, you know, I have to say that very seldom in this big city, these mean streets of Los Angeles, do you come across people who are like, nah, it's fine. Just pay me next week. Cause he knows I'm, he knows I'm good for the six bucks. And, um, I was just really taken aback by the kindness of that gesture. Cause it, it is, it's so few and far between in LA when people are just like, nah, don't worry. I know your face. You're an, you're a, you're a good egg. <laughs> but of course I couldn't accept uh, the man's kindness, and I promptly rushed to my car, and I tore open the the console, the middle thing, and I found six dollars because I couldn't accept the GD gift. I, I, you know what I mean? I can't. I, I'm such a. I have to like return the favor immediately. I couldn't just sit with the kind gesture and. Uh, God damn it! But what a nice thing it was to have somebody do that. I thought that was just so special. Can you hear my dog snoring? I can hear Bitsy snoring in the background. It's probably registering. Uh, so there was that. So, okay, this week, uh, oh boy, lots to talk about. Where do I start? Oh, I got a brand new crown in my, my head and I made the horrible mistake of having my teeth professionally whitened, whitened at the dentist's office. Um, and now I've done it at home before where they give you the gel tubes and they're like, just go ahead and throw this hydrochloric acid into uh, this plastic tray, slap those on. It'll burn your gums and lips and tongue a little. It'll be white and it'll, it'll feel like hydrochloric acid burning through your gut. Just ignore that. Do that as many times as you want until the stains lift. Like that's what they told me at this other dentist's office. And so... I had an entire fridge full of gel in these injection tubes and then you put it in the tray and then you suffer for 20 minutes. Forever how long you can tolerate the pain, the agony of these of the gel because it, it is bleach. It's essentially it's bleach and you put it in your mouth which I don't even know how chemically this is possible. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to let the professionals do it this time. And so I went to the dentist and you know it's probably the lesser of two evils to have it done by the dentist because basically they put that gel on your teeth. Same thing, same shit, different toilet. But instead of burning over the course of like weeks when you do it at home, they just burn you for like an hour. And every now and then the the bleach would ooze into like my gum or my lip and it would start to, it literally feels like it's burning a hole Ah, uh, through your mouth. But I was like, you know what? These teeth are going to look good. Ding. Look at them. Pearly whites. So it's like it's like an intensive course. So you do it for one hour versus weeks and weeks, which I kind of preferred. But so they, you're supposed to put the acid on your teeth four times, the bleach on your teeth. I tapped out after the third one. <laughs> I was like, I'm good. You know what I mean? I don't need them paper white. I don't want to look, um, you know, like George Hamilton or whatever. I don't need it that crazy. Just give me, you know, right. just lift it, lift some of the coffee stains. So I tapped out after the, after the third round of bleaching and man, it fucking hoits. I don't know. No, they didn't prepare you me for that. <laughs> I was just like, damn, I've given birth. And this was like, <laughs> this was a force to be reckoned with. And I, I will do it again. I'll do it like every two years. That's what the nurse said. My favorite part is I when I made the appointment two weeks ago, the the nurse was in my mouth and I've got two veneers in the front, right? 
And the whole point is you got, you always have to, it's like a matching game. The rest of your teeth get stained, but the veneers don't apparently. This is what I've learned. I thought it was the other way around. No. Yeah. I thought that the veneers could stain. So I was very cognizant of keeping them white. And the nurse is like, I told her this. I was like, dude, I have two front veneers. So I like to match my teeth color, the rest of the teeth. And then halfway through the bleaching, I was like, hey, how long are you going to kick the shit on my teeth? Because I got veneers in the front and I want to match. And she goes, oh, you have bondings? I was like, motherfucker, yes. This is why we're, yes. This is why we're doing this whole fucking thing. Did you tell the doctor? I go, yeah, of course I told. Of course he knows. You think he can't tell that I have two fake front teeth? And if he can't tell, then he's a piss poor dentist. And, oh, okay. I no, no, he's going to be okay. I'm like, it's not going to be okay. Just take this shit off right now. Let's just look at it. You know, fuck this. My favorite part though is when, <clears throat> but it ended up fine, by the way. It's fine. My favorite part of getting it done is um, I go to the front desk lady and she goes, now, because your teeth are very porous right now, you can't have anything that can stain them. So don't eat any curries or uh, spaghetti sauce and you can't have any red wine. Now, some people say, I can't whiten my teeth because I got to have my wine at night. And I'm like, well, those people are alcoholics. <laughs> they got bigger problems than whitening their teeth. You can't go one night without your red wine. <laughs> and I think you have bigger problems in life, my dear. So there it is. My big teeth whitening uh, fiasco. It's done. They look fantastic. <laughs> so two more years until I burn the shit out of my mouth again for the sake of vanity. But you got to do it, you know? Look, here's what you got to do. When you're my age, or you're 40-year-old broad, you got to start stepping up your maintenance game, right? You got to do the hair right. You got to get your eyebrows fleeked. You got to get your teeth whitened. You got to uh, get your mani-pedi. Yeah, I'm not really great on that, but it, it looks great. I see it on other people, and I admire it. You got to get your Botox, your wrinkles, whatever the hell fixed if you can. You got to get your exercise game on. You get your head game on, your shrink, right? You got to do all this stuff to maintain. You got to get your life. That's how you get your life, man. I have a whole team of people that keep me <laughs> keep me going, right? Good Lord. Okay. So where to begin this week? Where to begin? Oh, okay. So the whole point of me... Um, getting this crown done. And I was thinking about this as they were uh, adjusting it and putting it in my mouth. And does that, does that feel good? No, of course not. How about now? Can you bite, bite, tap, 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 tap? And then he keeps shaving it down. And, you know, dude, it doesn't feel normal. Like, what can I tell you? Let me talk to you in like a week after I've used this. And I'll tell you if it's good. It's totally good. But I got to thinking that, you know, I've had this crown before I had it replaced that the one prior, I had it done kind of in a hurry because I was traveling that week. And for whatever reason, it kind of would, it wasn't put in right. And so for the last five years, I would say it's always caused me a little bit of pain. You know, it wasn't lined up properly with my other teeth. And so every time I would eat, it was just like, oh, there's something in there. I got to floss. I got to like, just hurt. And I finally, you know, casually mentioned it to the dentist the last time I was in there. Hey, you know, this crown, it kind of bothers me. And he's like, yeah, sure, we'll make you a mold. In two weeks, you'll get the the new one, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's not cheap, you know, fucking $1,500 later, of course, uh, and two weeks of chewing on one side of your head, big deal. But it got me to thinking, like, why did I... 
allow myself to go five or six years with a tooth that was really bothering me really and like it, the thing that I, I mentioned this before with the toothpaste analogy I bought a a brand of Aquafresh that I didn't really like and I just kept using it and using it and using it until <laughs> until I couldn't until like my husband brought it up he's like god this this toothpaste tastes like shit and I was like yeah it tastes terrible let's let's get rid of this and let's get a new one but the same thing with my with pain I was suffering I was suffering and and I and like, why did it take me so long to just bite the bullet, plunk down the cash, put it on the credit card, worry about it later, right? I don't do that with everything, but I do that with medical necessity. I would say that definitely warrants that, right? And um, why does it take so long? And it, it got me to thinking about it. And because I do that with lots of things, okay? There's, we use the phone charger example in our house because for years, Tom and I had like one phone charger that we would just you know, huddle around and share and, oh God, man, you want to take turns using the phone charger <laughs> until it dawned on us like, oh, we can buy many of these. This is not a high ticket item. You can buy a phone charger. You can buy 10 phone chargers and just have them everywhere so that you can charge your phone whenever you want. You don't have to wait. You can just do that. That's the luxury of living in America is infinite phone chargers. Um, but why, why, why not that shift in perception sooner, I think, is what I'm trying to get at here. Why does it take so long? Why five years? Why months of brushing with toothpaste we don't like? And I think a lot of the times, and, and when it comes to, I'm saying, even bigger life issues, right? At least for me, let's, go, let's do it on the smaller scale. So a crown. Obviously, you know, you do your cost-benefit analysis on that one, on that pain. You go, well, you know, a crown kind of... Yeah, it's kind of a hassle to change, right? Like, oh, sure, I've been in pain for five years, but oh, I got to pay $1,500 and then it's two weeks with the temp in and it's going to fall out and I have to chew on one side and I can't, it's going to be a hassle. And, you you know, I would talk myself out of doing this thing that I really should have done, a, excuse me, a long time ago. But in my mind... The cost benefit analysis didn't add up enough, right? Like it, the suffering hadn't hadn't overcome the what's my point I'm trying to make? Sorry. The amount of suffering wasn't so great that I I had to make a change. And usually that's what happens, right? The suffering gets so great that you have to make um a change. But in this case, it was like I was getting a cleaning. I casually mentioned it because I think I was on some level ready to deal with it, right? My my plate was clean. I, didn't, I wasn't dealing with other bullshit at the moment, right? My newborn is no longer a newborn. I'm right, physically okay. I mean, let's do it. Let's do it now. And the time was right and the change happened. And that was on a small scale. But I'm talking about like the bigger picture stuff, right? Why do we... Why do we allow the suffering to continue? Like I think about things like my weight too. Like I was, I would say that I haven't liked how much I've weighed since I was, uh, since like 10 years. Let's, let's give it a good decade. I think a decade ago, I, I weigh less now than I did a decade ago. And a decade ago, I said to myself, you better start thinking about losing some pounds because it's not, it doesn't feel good where I'm at. I don't like it. And I just suffered through 10 years of like, oh, I'm so fat. God, I hate it. Oh, I hate these jeans. I'm so fat. It's so crazy. And and now that I'm on this kick of like of uh working out twice a week, I 
change my diet around so I don't have, I don't eat carbs, I don't eat sugar, I don't do alcohol, I, none of that crap. And that's really the only way I can lose weight. I've just, it's just fucking for me, that's all I can do. But um, I look back and I'm like, wow, was, what was the cost benefit analysis of that for me? And 10 years of hating my weight, hating every time I put on a pair of jeans, hating how I looked in clothes, hating how I looked naked, hating my body. And, and not doing anything about it or trying to do something about it, I would always go, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this diet. I would ramp up for it. And then sure enough, the sun would go down. Tom and I would sit down and watch TV or whatever, you know, and then you have a glass of wine and then you're like, let's have some cheese. Yeah, let's have some cheese. Oh, now I want something sweet. Let's bake a souffle. Yeah, let's get a souffle. You know what would be great right now? Pecan pie. Yeah, let's have some pecan pie. And on and on and on. And it was like it was with smoking, with me and smoking cigarettes. Is I remember there were days I'd wake up and I would be like, I'm never smoking again. I just smoked like 15 cigarettes last night. I feel terrible. And then sure enough, you know, the evening would roll around or the afternoon or whatever. And I'd find myself doing the exact thing I told myself I wasn't going to do. I was smoking again and it hurt, you know, and I would push past the pain in my lungs because at the time it actually physically hurt. And I was like, what is this insanity? And of course, by the time I turned 30, I had to come to Jesus on it. And I was like, this is insane. I got to get my life with cigarettes because this is going nowhere. I'm an addict. I'm, I'm completely helpless against this. And I think in some weird way, same with weight and body and like, ugh, I hate being fat, but the cost benefit analysis right now of me eating this cupcake or of me drinking this glass of wine is, well, I can temporarily alleviate whatever mental shit's going on, right? Oh, I feel, I have a feeling I got to drink something to get rid of that feeling versus like, you know what is eating that thing is eating that cupcake is baking this souffle going to really make me feel better? Not really. Maybe, maybe for a minute. Yeah. Like I'll be temporarily happy. And then all the emotional baggage is, is still there. And now it's even worse because you've just done the very thing you told yourself you would not do. And it's like this shit cycle, right? This horror, horror cycle. And it's the same with the, you know, on a smaller scale, the crown, like, why didn't I just pony up the 1500. I couldn't afford it 10 years, five years ago. No, but, uh, I would have just put it on a card. We were, you know, Tom and I've always been responsible with credit card debt. We didn't really carry a ton and I could have just, we would have made it work. We would have found a way is what I'm saying. Cause that's what you do. And I think the reason that we get stuck, cause I've been thinking about this for so many years, like why did it take me this long to lose the weight? Um, that I've been wanting to lose for a fucking decade. Well, number one, what happened was I had my kid and I was like enormous. I was enormous for my body. I've never been what I was. And I was like, this is bananas. I can't go another decade. Cause I know that's how it happens with women. Like you have a kid and then you don't try to rein it in. And then what you roll into baby number two. And now there's an additional 10 on you from the first kid. Now you got 10 on the second kid and et cetera. And it just snowballs and it doesn't get easier as you get older to lose weight or get in shape. God knows that. And I think what happened was there was just a day I, I looked in the mirror and I, I just said, no, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done hating myself. I'm done with the suffering. I'm done with the mental castigation of, the want, you know what you want to do. 
And then you sabotage that very thing. And I'm done. I'm done. And a lot of the times, you know, and that, that's with weight and stuff. And then there's other things. There are situations with people, with your work, with, you know, maybe you're stuck in something career-wise, family-wise, lifestyle. There's something that goes on and like, you know, you just can't see a way out. I think that's, that's where people get stuck. That's where I've been stuck in my life before, where you're just like, I, I don't know. I don't know how not to do this. <laughs> You're like, I want to stop doing this, but I don't. The insanity is, what's that song like? How to get off of this merry-go-round. It's like the 70s drug song, right? Or 60s. I think the uh, the song is about the merry-go-round of probably like pills and alcohol or whatever the fuck, but there's a merry-go-round and you're on it and you don't know how to get off. You've just got this ticket to ride and you're on it. And, 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 you know, and the same goes like, for instance, with my career, I remember before I had my son, I, the reason I started this podcast is because I was in a hotel room in the middle of the day and I was crocheting, crying and drinking a glass of wine in the middle of the day. (laughs) And I had a moment where I thought, you know what? This is not healthy for me. I never drank in the day. I wasn't my thing on the road ever. And wait a minute, something's wrong. Like this is, this is the crown that's hurting me and I'm ignoring it. I'm fucking ignoring it. And it's so easy to just continue to do that thing. And before you know it, you're deeply steeped in some addiction or your body is worn down because you've been ignoring its signals forever and ever. But I kind of knew then, like, if I don't change this lifestyle, this will not be good for me at all. And there's no reason to be crocheting in a in the middle of the day and drinking in a hotel room. And like, <laughs> so but I didn't see a way out. That's the point. And I started doing this show. And in the course of talking about like all these different topics that I've talked about and I've had guests on and we did grief and we've done psychedelic drugs and we've done AA and we've done fucking narcissism, whatever, whatever topics we've done in the course of all that, I've understood one thing is that sometimes we get stuck. I got stuck. I should just make it about me because in the end, it's not really about me though. It's about it. At the end of the day, you get stuck because you don't know how to get out. There's no way out, right? I can't stop touring compulsively because if I stop touring all the time, that won't be a comedian anymore. That was the big fear, right? If I if I do this differently, I won't get hired or I won't I won't be a comic and blah 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 blah. And I was afraid that if I pulled back on touring, that I wouldn't be the same. That things wouldn't be the same for me. I wouldn't get hired. It's nonsense. Actually, what can happen is. I just restructured how I tour, right? So now I do things vastly differently. I don't spend five days in one city. I spend one night, maybe two nights in the city. And then I come home because I'm, it's not good for me to be in hotels. I know that about myself. <laughs> Guess what? It's not good for me to be alone in a city for five days in a hotel room with nothing to do. No car, no way of getting food. That's what being a comic is. Hey, go entertain people for five nights in a row without a car, no way to get food, and there's no food usually around you. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. There's a Chili's five miles south of here, and you can walk there, but there's no sidewalks in this city. For some reason, it's nothing but highways 
and no sidewalks. So go ahead, have a great week, go have fun. And it felt like being a monkey where like they take monkey, come out of the cage, tell your jokes, and then you chimp around and then they throw you back in the cage until it's showtime. <laughs> and for me, like I can't, I can't do it. I couldn't do it. So I've restructured things and I was afraid to restructure things, right? Because that's different. That's changed. That's not what I know. And I'll, the only way I've ever known stand up is that way of like the fucking, the hard way for me, you know? And for me, I can't, I just couldn't do it. Does that mean I'm going to stop doing stand up? No, it just means I'm going to find an agent who can meet those needs, meet the needs. And I have, and that's the thing. Those things exist. So the reason like, I think you get stuck is because we don't see an alternate solution, right? There's no, I don't know. How is there a way that I could do this and this? There's no way I can't stop doing this because I don't know how to do this. And we get so fucking jammed up on like the how. Now, this is what I've learned when I got jammed up with the travel thing, when I get jammed up on anything. And I've learned this trick uh, from Marianne Williamson. She's like one of the, uh, she's a varsity level self-help. Like if you want to get fucking weird, start listening to Marianne Williamson. That's her name. She's on iTunes. You can download all of her stuff, download her lectures. (coughs) Excuse me. She talks once a week in, in LA here locally. Um, she's like one of the big innovators in the self-help movement. Anyways, you want to, you want to talk some shit, get with Marianne Williamson. Um, but she has this wonderful, wonderful way of putting this moment when you're, when you just feel trapped and you feel like you don't know the way out. And this is the reason so many, um, self-help paths lead to God. Now I'm not like a, a huge religious person. I'm like vaguely spiritual sometimes. I think, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it depends on the week with me, honestly. But um, this is what she said, which is fantastic. She defines a miracle. This Her book is called, a Cor- not A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles is what Marianne Williamson bases like her entire thing on, her lecturing on. Um, she wrote a book called, fuck, sorry, I can't remember. Something about, oh, Return to Love. And her whole thing is when you're in this point of crisis, if you don't know how to get out, you don't see the way out. She says to pray for a miracle. Pray for a miracle. Okay, well, what does that mean, weird beard? Well, a miracle, according to her, according to Marianne Williamson, is a shift in perception. Now, look, I studied philosophy. We all know a miracle is defined uh, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Is not that a miracle is um, a deviation in the laws of nature. Thank you. I remembered that from undergrad. <laughs> Carefully that it means a something that goes against the laws of nature. That's technically what a miracle is defined as, right? So you have like creepy twins in Guadalajara that have seen uh, the Virgin Mary or whatever saints whose hands are preserved. Those are miracles because they go against the laws of nature. Solar eclipses in the middle of the day with Jesus weeping in them. Those are miracles that go against nature. But in this regard, she defines miracle a miracle as a change in perception, a change in perception. How fucking interesting and mind-blowing is that? Because that's kind of what it takes to get you out of 
whatever destructive shit you're into at the moment, it's a change in perception. The whole thing of like, but how can I stop? How can I do something other than what sucks for me right now? Because whatever you're doing that sucks for you just keeps on sucking until a catalyst, a change happens. So how do you get to a miracle? How do you get to a change in perception? Well, Marianne Williamson advocates praying to the G-O-D and you ask God, you say, God, give me a shift in perception. All I'm looking for is a different way of looking at things. Now, do I, I'm not telling you to be religious. If you're not, if it's not comfortable, don't. But I, what I do advocate is to ask your subconscious mind, your, your, the mind that is not predominant, but that kind of knows the way. Because I do believe unconsciously, we all know what it is we should be doing. You know, you fucking know. You know, when you're like, oh, why is that person mad at me? You fucking know on some level why that person's mad at you or why that person did that thing to you that you didn't like or whatever. You, everybody knows everything unconsciously. So you're asking your unconscious mind, whatever, subconscious, what's the difference between the unconscious and the subconscious? Anyway, you're asking the mind that is not dealing with the everyday crap. There you go. Hey, what the fuck do I need to do here? What am I not seeing? What piece of the puzzle doesn't make sense to me right now that you need to bring into consciousness? And I guarantee every time I've done this, I've prayed for a miracle or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Ask for a change in perception. That's what I've done before. Hey, I need help seeing this from a different angle because my brain, my human, limited, puny, insignificant brain can't see a way out or off of the merry-go-round, right? I can't get off this merry-go-round. I can't get off, but I just keep doing the same thing. Why do I keep doing this? And I think that's why like in, excuse me, AA, that's part of why God is, I think, so essential, right? It's the higher power to surrender. And surrender is like, I think, fucking huge too, right? To even the acknowledgement of the problem, the acknowledgement of something that's painful or not working for you. That's half the battle. And then the other half is to get your puny little insignificant brain around some kind of a solution, you know, but it always begins in the asking of the question and the asking of the question. I'm a philosopher. I don't know. Oh, Heidegger. I think he said that you're going to know your answer by the way the question is formulated, but the hardest part is formulating the right question. So you got to ask the right my dog snoring. My dog is like, this podcast sucks. Um, but yes, I've always loved that to pray for a shift in perception because that is in fact the miracle. It's not that God is gonna, you know, I've, I've never really liked the idea too of like, well, just pray it away. Just pray and God will, you know, come and swoop in and he'll pay your bills. God will take care of the mortgage. It's like, well, not, not really. I think what I think if we if we look at that theory, that uh, idea of God helping you, I think the real the real thing there is like, well, maybe you're inspired to take action, right? That's really what you're asking for. Like, hey, I need the idea to go forward in a productive manner. I I can't see here. I can't see through the the fucking fog of what I'm in right now. I need that help, the inspiration to do something other than what the heck I've been doing because that doesn't fucking help, right? That doesn't help. That 
doesn't fucking help. Also, I had another thought too. This week I was watching Sesame Street, um, which I'm really into, man. You know what a good show Sesame Street is? And that's been on for like 40 plus years since I've been alive. Sesame Street's been on and it just gets funnier and funnier. They have parodies of like True Blood. They did True Mud, which was hilarious. Um, I've been watching old videos with Ellis, uh, Cookie Monsters, singing like, where's my cookie at the discotheque? It's so fucking stupid. I love it. It's a great show. And they have autistic characters, people in wheelchairs, little kids in wheelchairs, and they... They have girls singing like, I can be whatever I want, which is amazing because in the 80s, they did not have girl puppets singing that they could be whatever they wanted. It's so fucking crazy how sexist it was when I was growing up. Like there was no such thing as um, as like, (laughs) you can be an astronaut. Like there was one lady who went into space, Krista McCullough in 1984 on the Challenger shuttle and Challenger fucking exploded. So the message was, you can be a lady that goes into space, but it's going to blow up and you're going to die. So girls, just stay home and bake those cookies, huh? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and have babies and give blowjobs and bake cupcakes because you're not going into space. We all saw what happened to Krista. So, uh, yeah, we had, you know, this girl power stuff came with the Spice Girls in the 90s and there was zero notion so to see it on sesame street is like oh wow and there's like a a little black girl puppet singing about how she likes her hair and how she can do whatever she wants she can be a a supreme court judge or she could be a doctor or whatever it's awesome it's just amazing amazing how far society has come in just like one generation um but so they had the episode they do the, the word of the day is whatever and and the word of the day was unique and, you know, I'm an adult. I, there are days where Sesame Street is very unprofound for me. It's just a giggle. I love watching the count count. He still does that shit. You know, um, I love the letter of the day. The song is amazing. It's so good. I, you know, I hate Abby's, uh, fucking fairy school though. They have the section now where it's like a uh, fairies and the, it's animated. It, it's the worst. I hate it so much. But a- anyway, I digress. The word of the day was unique. And like they're explaining it to little kids. Well, unique is something that's never been seen before. And and uh, there was a flower pot contest. And my favorite character is Oscar the Grouch. Clearly, clearly, because Oscar the Grouch is a stand-up comedian. Everybody knows that he's miserable. He's always seeing um, the dark side of the force. He's uh, totally angry, self-loathing, and hates everybody else. And he's only happy when he's grumpy and I fucking love Oscar the Grouch. She's the best, right? So Oscar's plant is in this, um, is, is I think the plant's name is stinky is in this plant flowering contest. And then there's this other flower who's a, you know, beautiful flower, yellow flowers. And both of these flowers are waiting to bloom to be judged by the judges. And so the, the one girl flower, she sprouts and she's gorgeous, you know, perfect, six yellow flowers and everything's hunky dory and she's beaming with pride she's like oh my gosh i'm gonna win this contest and like this kick-ass flower and then oscar the grouch's flower pot stinky is like trying so hard to bloom right he's sitting there and he's pushing and he's like oh i can't bloom i won't bloom in time then the judges will come by and i won't win the contest and i'm screwed because i'm different and this is terrible oh my god what the fuck you know and i was like dude if that isn't like a fucking metaphor 
for how I felt my entire life. <gasps> you know what I mean? Like I've always been uh, me, right? A little morose, a little gothy, a little existential, a little whatever, angry. Yes. A little pom- whatever. And I've always hated it. I've always hated that about myself, that I'm not peppy, that I'm not yellow flowers. And I, I just would flog myself in high school because I wanted so badly to wear the right clothes and to be in the right crowd. When I was in junior high, I would say, probably not by high school, but you know, in growing up in junior high school, I just, you know, I had the wrong shoes. I had the wrong jeans. I had the wrong, I mean, I've got the right jeans, of course, the tightest pair imaginable, but you know, and, uh, you flog yourself because you think, gosh, if only I could just be a cheerleader, if I could just be uh, fucking normal, that would be great. But uh, anyway, getting back to Stinky in the flower pot. So Stinky finally blooms, finally, after pushing it and pushing it. And the, and the advice to Stinky from the nice uh, Indian lady character, whose name I can't remember, who I fucking love too. She goes, you know, just relax, be yourself. Just relax. Don't try to push it. Because when you try to push it, you're going to end up doing something that's not you and this and that. And so Stinky chills and he blossoms. Oh my God, he blossoms. And, <laughs> and the best part is that he blooms and it's this crazy big flower and it reeks. It smells like garbage, of course, because he hangs out with who? Oscar the Grouch. And it reeks and it, it shrivels up the nice flower and everybody's like, Oh my God, that is disgusting. It's so terrible. I can't believe it, but it's beautiful. Like his flowers enormous and it's like, it's like anything else. It's like, I'm sorry. It's unlike anything else on Sesame street. And the judge is like, Oh my God, that's amazing. That's unlike anything else we've ever seen before. You win the flower contest or whatever. And I think that's like such a great metaphor for how fucking you go through life i you know wishing i've just my whole life wish i could just fucking be normal why can't i just why can't i just be like everybody else and just be happy about the same shit other people get happy about you know oh i love friends yeah let's watch a fucking marathon oh i just yes i want to go to um I want to go to Coachella. I'd love to see endless concerts and have nowhere to urinate and get sunburned. Yeah, I want to go to your two-year-old's birthday party, even though I don't have um, children of my own. Yes, I'd love to do that. Um, I want a big wedding with lots of people, with just hundreds of people admiring my dress. I want to plan that wedding too, because I love planning things. I'm so good at being a girl. Um, I want to be sexy all the time. I wish I just, I love wearing high heels and I love, um, just spending hours doing my hair or, uh, agonizing over the outfits I'm going to wear all these things I love. And I know that I'm, I'm being obviously sarcastic and facetious, but, um, but those are the things I've always wanted to love. (laughs) I've wanted to just fit in, right? Excuse me. My whole life. And, um, I think um, I think there's a point in everyone's existence where that you just get tired. It just gets it gets too hard to to pretend like uh, you can do any of that shit, right? Because I, I don't care about those um, things I mentioned before, and I. But it's okay because I'm I'm like the stinky flower, where I blossom and, and it's revolting 
to people and uh, it's attractive to others. So there you go. You can choose which side of the, the fence you, you go on that one. But, um, but I wonder how many people do grow up feeling the same way. I imagine it's a lot of people who are like, you know, I'd love to do X, Y, and Z in my life, but, but I can't cause I'm not good enough. And why am I not good enough? Cause I'm not like that person that does that thing. Right. I could never be, could you imagine what Adele probably grew up watching like skinny, perfect singers. Cause Adele's way young and didn't grow up in the era I did where ugly people had music careers. And could you imagine being a chunky girl and how the fuck do you even have the courage to sing when you're that anyways? So yeah, the unique stuff is to embrace. And it's such a trite thing to be like, love yourself. Cause it's a little more complicated than that. It's a little more complex than, just embrace it. Love yourself. Just be who you are. Because all that stuff is really trite and really lame. And it doesn't really resonate deeply. Because it, at least for me, the amount of self-loathing it, t- it took to overcome that, you know, because you're not, there's only one type of fucking woman in the media generally. And I know because I'm on social media, I know it's what you're supposed to be all the time. And it's uh, particularly difficult for us because there's not... There's not a lot of nuanced women in the movies, on television, and stand-up, wherever, creatively, you know, you're either oversexed, I love, fucking love, I love dicks and I'm a whore, or it's, you know, I'm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to fucking go into it, but the, the point is, uh, there's very few ways you can be in the world as a girl, and I just, uh, it took me 40 years to accept that I'm, uh, I'm not... A beautiful flower. <laughs> I'm more of a stinky flower. Put it that way. More of a stinker. Okay, let's talk about. I got a few minutes left, and I wanted to get into this. I've gotten a lot of emails lately about. Let me just make sure I have my notes. Yeah, here we go. About breakups. Apparently, a lot of people. Right now, everybody's everybody's like dying right now and breaking up right now. You're in spring is a time of uh, renewal, rebirth. Things are falling apart. Things are shaking up. The grounds are shifting. The tectonic plates are moving. Everybody's doing their own thing. Okay, so breakups, breakups. How do you deal with a breakup? I've gotten so many emails in the last two weeks about, you know, this person is the love of my life. I don't think I will find anybody as fantastic as them um, or broken up for whatever reason. How do I go on with my life? Okay. What do I do? What do I do? Okay, well, let's um, let's back it up. First of all, first of all, we've all, we've all uh, broken up with somebody and it is probably the worst thing that happens in life. It's one of the worst things. Second to death. Divorce, death. What else? What's another crummy? Well, there's a lot of crummy things, but um, yeah. And the reason that breakups and death suck is because they're oddly similar, right? It's the death of a relationship. It's the death of something that you relied on for emotional support, for comfort, for for everything. It's your it's your jam, if you will, for a long time and then all of a sudden it's just gone. 
And, you know, the whole thing of like, that person's my soulmate, but it's not working. They're here. I'm there. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but the truth is, and you know it, you know, bros, in your heart of hearts, you know that if it really were, if it really was meant to be, that you would still be with that person. And you fucking know that on some level. So before we go into that person's the love of my life and I can't believe it, just pause for a moment and think about it. Why are you broken up then? If it was so fantastic and everything was so maze, why aren't you with that motherfucker? Okay. Number one, that's number one. Now you can be compatible in lots of areas, right? Maybe you're whatever here, whatever great there. And then, oh, just a small thing of like, we get into violent arguments and, he throws shit at me or I don't know. That stuff's terrible. You shouldn't be with somebody like that. Okay. Okay. And here's the golden rule. Anybody that has addictions is abusive to you. Um, and that's in a lot of forms, by the way, that also counts as like verbal abuse. We're not just talking about dudes who punch holes in walls. Like there's a lot of shit that constitutes that somebody who doesn't root for you, who's not happy for you, wants to see you fail. Um, Yeah, basically somebody that's fucked up, don't be sad about losing them. How about that? Okay, that's number one. Number two, it's a death. So like death, here's my advice. Fucking don't call that person. Do not text that person. Do not look at their social media. Stop it. Don't look at their Instagram. Don't look at their Facebook don't see where they're at. Stop it. Just unfollow, 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 unfollow their friends. And I know it's harder now in this era because everybody's connected to everybody, but untangle yourself social media wise. Uh, the reason being, it's a lot easier to get over somebody when you're not in constant communication with them. I know it sounds hard. How can I? We were talking every day for a million years. Cause it's a death and I'm sorry. And it sucks. And mourning a death is like, the worst. It's fucking terrible. So it's going to suck. It's just going to suck. You can't help that person get over it. That's the worst thing you can do is when, uh, you dump somebody and then you're going to help them process the feelings of it. Good luck. That is not going to work. And I know that's not going to work. You can't help them get over you. That's bananas. It's inhumane and it's cruel actually. And you're prolonging the suffering if you're trying to Talk that person through both of your breakups. Super weird. What is glowing back there? Um, so don't try to counsel them. Um, okay, so oh, uh, don't be alone. That's another thing. You know, when somebody dies, they tell you don't be alone because you don't want to. Just don't be alone. Go hang out with your friends. If when you first break up with somebody, make an exit plan. It's a great idea. Um, one time I broke up with a dude and I had friends lined up that I was going to stay with for the night. And like, we watched movies and laughed instead of sitting alone, weird crying. So create an exit plan, create some kind of support system to jump into. Don't just hang out the phone or whatever, how you break up with somebody and then just go home alone and get weird. So have somebody there for you. Don't cyber stalk, don't call, don't text. We got that. Um, yeah, so do, here's what you should do. Do hang out with your friends, do activities. I know it's hard. And it's the same when somebody dies, right? You're like, how can I go on? Like, how do I, what do people do when somebody dies? I remember when my mother died and, um, 
And I just got up. (laughs) I got up and I put my clothes on and I went to the grocery store and I came home and I fed the dogs and I made dinner. And it was like, wait, this is what you do when somebody dies? You just go on with your life? But this catastrophic thing happened to me, right? How can I just go on? How does the world just keep turning? Well, because unfortunately it does. And like, just because something catastrophic has happened to you, you don't have time to really lay down all day and cry and be fucking weird. You got to eventually dip back into life. And I'm not saying you shouldn't cry and be weird. You shouldn't beginning, but, um, you know, you just got to keep on trucking, bro. You can't, (laughs) you can't wallow for too long. Um, yeah. That's really all I had for that. And don't date yet. I mean, I've always joked about it. Like, hey, just hop on a new dick. But don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's good advice. Not until you're kind of over it. And I always think about, too, what really helped me in the past breaking up with some dude is to think about why you're unhappy with them a lot. Like, you know, when you're working up the nerve, <clears throat> to break up with somebody and you're like, but we're so, I'm so used to them. I'm so scared of not being with them. Just remind yourself of the stuff you don't like. That's way easier. <laughs> Think about all that stuff. Think about all the stuff they don't like about you. That really is hard. I mean, like, you know, I'm messy. I've always been messy. I'm always going to be messy. And I've had boyfriends that just hated that about me. Like, oh, you leave your shit everywhere. Like, well, yeah, I kind of do. It's who I am. It's part of the package. I'm not going to change it. It's not going to fucking change. 40 years. That's why the guy I married, we just hire a uh, hire maid. <laughs> um, no fights about me being messy or him being messy because we're both pigs. And hey, guess what? We just hire someone else to fucking clean it up. It's in the budget, folks. Tom and I made it a priority. Someone else cleans up our shit. So there you go. That's my only advice on breaking up. Oh, I hate breaking up. It's got to be so much harder now, too, that there's so much um, technology and social media. You know, it's got to be so hard. Because back in in the day when I was um, dating or whatever, it's before 2005, that was the last time I dated with Tom. So texting, it was a relatively new thing. And Friendster had just come out. There was no really MySpace. Or MySpace was just beginning. So... There wasn't this additional component of like, you can see what somebody's doing most of the time, especially if they're younger, they're checking in everywhere. They're, hey, I'm here. I like how much fun I'm having right now. Um, so ugh, it's got to be excruciating to like to not want to text that person too when you're feeling particularly weepy at like midnight. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, block the number, right? Oh, I think that's what you should do too. See, this is how old I am the last time I dated. I guess you can block people's numbers, right? I say block their number, block it all, block as much as you can. Try not to stay visible. Oh my God. And here's a big one for millennials, which I've seen. Oh my God. Do not make a video about how you just broke up with that person. Don't. It's super embarrassing for you. Trust me. The person that you broke up with is not watching that thinking, oh, I really miss them. How great were they? No, no, no. They're thinking, I'm fucking glad I broke up with that psycho because holy shit, look at the crazy stuff this person's saying. So like, don't do it. Don't make an emo um, video about breaking up with that person. And don't make a video because I saw this girl on Instagram. Oh my God, it was so bad. She was like, you broke up with me and look at all this. Look at what you're missing out on, boo. And it was like, you know, her 
tits and ass and she was like look how hot i am blah, blah, blah. and i'm like oh no no it's so embarrassing <laughs> don't do it don't do it oh just hide just do what i do just hide <laughs> don't leave your house <laughs> just don't leave the house all right i am getting to go back to my life not that this isn't my life this is obviously my life but yeah okay well i hope that was helpful guys email me that's the bro podcast at gmail.com Come watch this on YouTube on my YouTube channel, Christina Pajitsky YouTube channel. Just spell my last name phonetically, guys. There you go. Um, have a fantastic week, and uh, yeah, stay deep, bros. Stay deep. Oh, oh, is that? Oh man, I never get this right. Now what? Okay, bye. I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.